we have one last uh, presentation, sorry, um, before the break, which is Alex Crook from uh, the ABC is going to be talking to us, um, looking at the, the aftermath of enforced behaviour change through COVID, in particular with younger people. Um, Alex, thank you very much. Welcome. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. If you feel like you want to stand up and stretch, feel free. I know the, the physiques are kind of setting in already. Anyway, it's great to be here. And I'll just pick up my thing. Um, it is great to be in person once again. Life is an in-person event. I read this quote by the CMO of Fast Company Innovation at the end of last year, and its simplicity resonated with me. If this was true, how would you, how would we, describe the last few years of our lives? We had some of the strictest regulations and guidelines in the world, and Melbourne, you really felt the brunt of this. These rules dominated our existence. We were only allowed to spend physical contact with the people we lived with, if even we lived with anyone at that time. At certain points during our lockdowns, we were only allowed out for one hour a day for exercise and food shopping. We had no physical contact with our friends, with our family, with acquaintances, with anybody. It changed how we lived, how we socialized, and how we worked. And these changes changed us. We had new norms to contend with. We were worried about getting COVID. We were taking regular COVID tests. We were constantly using hand sanitizer. We're wearing masks, and many of us still do. And we're still understanding these changes and working out what will fade into history and what might stick around and hang about with us. And as we sit here today and individually and perhaps collectively consider the impact of the last few years on our lives, we probably all have one thing in common, probably a few things in common, but for the purposes of this presentation, we have probably all saw that our relationships with digital products and technology intensified. But what's the impact of the pandemic on our current digital habits? I'm Alex Crook, and I'm the Product Design Research Lead at the ABC, and today I'll be talking about the impact of enforced behaviour change on younger peoples, 18 to 30-year-olds today, um, on their habit, identity and behaviour, and understanding what it means for the ABC as we deliver audience-informed digital experiences. So I oversee the design research activities across all of our digital products. So you might be familiar with some of these, or you might not be. Um, so from ABC Kids app, to the ABC News app and the website, to ABC iView across multiple platforms, um, ABC Listen, Triple J, Triple J Unearthed. And we certainly felt the impact of people's voracious need for information, entertainment, and news during this period of time across all of our products. But things have changed since those lockdown days as we return to more in-person events. And there is less reliance on our digital products. Or is there? Perhaps you yourself have felt that you have picked up habits that you have continued to hold on to perhaps intentionally, or perhaps you're looking to get rid of them, and they're kind of ugly hangers-on that you're really wanting to shed. 
But what is the situation for 18 to 30 year olds now? They've spent the last few years adapting and finding new ways of living their lives during these times. And they have picked up new behaviors and new habits as they've sought to interact, engage, and connect with the world, sometimes for the first time, particularly on the younger end, but all predominantly from behind a screen. So what I'm sharing with you today is research that is still very much in flight. You're seeing a kind of behind the curtain sneak peek of what's going on. And we're really in the middle of still experiencing and kind of exploring and understanding the new ways in which 18 to 30 year olds are engaging with media, understanding their expectations, their preferences, their perceptions. During this research, they have been taking us on a big journey on what's it like on the online world and the offline world. And we've been examining the role of tech on their lives and pondering what content they're drawn to and why. So today I will share some of what is emerging. I will share Layla's journey of how her experience has evolved over the last few years. We will then reflect on the implications of these changes and how we might adapt to new habits and preferences in order to deliver more effective digital experiences. You might have 18 to 30 year olds for your products that you're seeking to get more connection with and perhaps you can apply some of these learnings from this research to your products and services. And lastly, we'll wrap up with some thoughts on exploring people in their spaces and a few tips on research. So let's begin with Layla. So Layla is an amalgamation of a few of the young people we have observed and we've seen and we've spoken to. Um, and she represents one persona within this cohort. By no means think that what I'm about to show you represents all 18 to 30 year olds. Of course, we all understand there is nuance and depth to us as individuals and to stereotypes and to personas. But for the purposes of us telling a story today, I'm gonna to take you on Layla's journey. So Layla is 24 years old and before COVID struck, she was living in a flat with a bunch of her flatmates while she was studying at university. When COVID hit, her and her flatmates decided to go back to their respective family homes and she continued to study online. She's now back in that flat with her flatmates, maybe a different flat. I will start her story there and describe how her relationship with digital has changed over the last few years and what it's like today. We will consider her experiences of personalization, connection and well-being during this period of time and the integral role it's had in shaping her behaviors and her habits. So, Layla considered herself to have a good relationship with news prior to COVID. I mean, she was never really a heavy user of it, but she liked to dabble in the odd news story here and there. She would sometimes put on even the morning TV and watch it and have it as ambient background noise as she got ready for uni. And sometimes, and probably quite a lot of the time, she would catch it also on Instagram or one, up, or one up of the other socials that she was on. However, during COVID, and we can all understand this, the news was everywhere. And look, she was interested. She wanted to keep up to date. She wanted to know what was happening. But then the repetitiveness of it, the intensity of it, the constancy of it, and perhaps the unchanging nature of it all became too much for her. And it started to impact her mental well-being. It was just too depressing. She said it was really anxiety provoking and it got to a point when she just wanted to consume more positive stuff, lighter, 
less credible stuff, she said. So she took a break from the news. That is, she took a break from the news as she recovered from the constant COVID coverage and just kind of general news fatigue. Like most of her friends, she became aware of the impact it had on her mental health and well-being, and so she became mindful of what she consumed and knew she needed to make changes. She wanted to avoid those negative emotions that kept rising up every time she was faced by a negative news story. With not much else to do, and with TikTok on the rise, she started to explore this new platform and its contents and its features, and her friends did too. This, along with Instagram, enabled her to stay connected with her friends and made her feel happy and hopeful and aspirational, whereas before she was feeling kind of hopeless. This desire for good-for-you content made her feel better and satisfied with the choices she was making. And with that, social media became a place of respite, a place for her to follow her heroes, to feel inspired. It would motivate her to try a new recipe, or maybe try a new exercise routine. Disconnected from physical contact from those around her, she was drawn to the relatable and authentic human on the phone, providing kind of light and fluffy, funny and real information. It wasn't just faceless content she was after. She was looking for connection, and she got it. It became an enjoyable way to spend her time and lighten the burden of the environment she found herself. I don't walk away feeling heavy or contemplating life, she said. The positive and upbeat vibes of this world were reinforced by the visual style. Bold and colorful and dynamic experiences caught her eye. You're just gonna get bored if it looks dull and there's no energy in the video. If it's not visually appealing, I'm not gonna watch it or read it. And that is what we saw, the immediate flick of the finger as a piece of content would be dismissed for failing to engage her. The dynamicness of the reels and the color reeled her in. It's clever, it doesn't require a lot of energy to focus on those things, it's just there, just something to do. When I'm bored, pass the time. It's usually quite funny or quite informing. Personalized content on social media further reinforce her engagement. Nothing beats TikTok for personalization, she said. It's just ease, convenience, I see things that I want to see, that sort of thing, she mentioned. TikTok's tentacles spread. It's no longer just a place for escapism or mindless content consumption. It's become a destination, a one-stop shop for a variety of needs. She said, I use it pretty much for everything, to discover new ways to do things, new trends, new places to eat, new food. The list went on. Now with this habit deeply embedded in her daily routine, her expectations of how content, including news, should be presented to her have changed. She now wants news to follow similar design patterns that she's seen in social media. It should be short and brief, ideally a short form vertical video. That's easily digestible. And when we say short, we really mean short seconds, not minutes. Minutes are gonna be a right turn off. It's just the way I consume it. I don't necessarily wanna read about it, she says. And it needs to be sandwiched between a variety of content that balances the light with the dark. We, this whole journey started because she was feeling hopeless and negative 
from all the negativity. So how can we interject and bring it all together in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming? And how she can also manage her negative feelings that have arisen in the past from all the news. So Layla adapted and she found new ways to live her life and with that she found new ways to consume content. But what are, are the implications for us, the ABC, and how do we adapt to changing habits and preferences in order to deliver effective digital experiences? For me, you might be asking yourself, how on earth are they going to deliver news to those who might not actually want it or seek it out? And whilst I use news to tell her story, the implications of these expectations are far-reaching and contain important considerations for how to make relevant experiences across all our products, across all our content, across all our top topics for younger generations. Perhaps this story resonated with you, perhaps you're Layla. Perhaps it resonated with you because you're also trying to understand this particular audience. And perhaps you also considered the changing habits of these particular audience segments and understand how to research them and apply the insights to your products and services. If we look at her journey, we can break it down into some different stages that led up to a habit becoming established. We can understand what she wants, what she wants to achieve, and identify where we might be able to play. Look, we're not trying to be TikTok, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> and recognizing that this is about making ourselves you know, a bit more relevant to younger audiences, whilst also acknowledging our purpose, of which you know, we are here also to contribute to a sense of national identity and inform and entertain and reflect the cultural diversity of Australian communities. But how can we do this in a way that might appeal to Layla? If we look at the internal trigger first, this is something she felt internally within us, within her. She felt that negative emotion starting to rise from the constancy of that negative news in the early days. And those depressing feelings that came along. And with little much else to do, she made the distinct choice and she took a proactive choice in, in dealing with her need, which was to protect her mental well-being. So questions we can ask ourselves here are, how can we help Layla feel reassured that she won't be bombarded or inadvertently stumble across content that is going to be negative to her well-being? What can we do to protect her? And we continue to ask, what else, what else? So she seeks to protect her mental well-being through the action of finding safe havens that replace the negative news with positive stories where can she can feel satisfied with her choices. And social media delivers her that reward. It becomes a source of inspiration, as you saw. A few chuckles I hear, as you see. And all of those um, videos are from the people that we have seen and spoken to. And it gives her a sense of stability and control. We know that positive emotions cultivate habits, but we also know that negative emotions destroy them. So how can we support positive behaviours? What is a meaningful reward that helps Layla achieve her goals? But there is a lot of information out there vying for her attention. You've probably felt it as well. And so the visual appeal, including the audio, 
and this means music and jingles and sound bites. We had one uh, participant who said that she doesn't even really need to look at a TikTok video. She can just hear just a, a, a nanosecond and she knows if it's going to be a dog video, which she was particularly partial for. And that's what you know she's looking for. I didn't know dog videos had a specific sound, but she had already identified that. So bringing together the motion and the sounds and the style all together to spike interest across multiple topics allowing her to consume on the spot or save until later, deferring that action. This action means she doesn't have to consume everything right here, right now. And it means she's setting up her future interaction, which is pretty much guaranteeing that she's going to return in the near future, perhaps an hour later, perhaps a day or a week later. So how can we surface more of the content that is relevant to Layla? whilst using our award-winning design skills to capture and maintain interest. The low cognitive effort required to consume this content, combined with the personalised experiences, removes any barriers to consumption for her. The pleasurable interaction becomes an easy go-to habit to pass time and boost the mood. It teaches the brain that this behaviour is worth remembering and it's worth repeating. So how can we remove barriers to content? How can we make it more pleasurable? Drawn to the short form, easily digestible co content that delivers a satisfying experience, her habit becomes established. Look, we aren't trying to recreate the patterns of social media like for like in our products, nor do we want to. That isn't our purpose. But understanding the psychological and physiological principles behind Layla's needs, actions and behaviours, we can seek to deliver more relevant, pleasurable digital experiences across all our products. We will be continuing this research, and if you fit into the 18 to 30 year old category, perhaps before too long, you will be experiencing products that resonate with you more deeply. And if you don't, we would love to hear from you. <laughs> So let's wrap up with some final thoughts on the process itself. I'm remembering that quote that life is an in-person event. And because we are now living life, fingers crossed we stay like that, not from just behind a screen, we have had the opportunity to explore people in their spaces physically again, which Sophie and Beck, now I feel I'm under the microscope here. <laughs> Your presentation was fantastic and I'm going to say something that might feel like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so we've undertaken a multi-pronged approach to our research. We have done extensive trends analysis. We have um, big data teams and big research teams across the ABC that have also conducted a lot of deep quant analysis. So we're doing that review. Um, unmoderated interviews, diary studies and follow-up interviews, and ethnographic inquiry interviews, longer than an hour, half a day. <laughs> a bit better. <laughs> lots, lots. This is why it's so brilliant to just speak and hear and learn. I feel like I'm already changing what, uh, based on what you've already mentioned. So it's been particularly powerful going back into people's homes because it's something we haven't been able to do for so long and also in the context of the last few years where the homes were people's only spaces the places where they wrestled with connection and well-being but also the places where they learnt new skills and new ways of doing things we wanted to understand the role of people's homes in their lives 
They've been a really key character in their day-to-day -day lives. For so long, understanding its influence would also be really important. But do be mindful of when you're going back, and maybe you already have, and we can share in the breaks uh, your experiences too, of people's kind of comfort levels with having you in your home. We're in a different world right now. How do they feel in terms of what distance they want to keep from you? How do they want to be greeted? No embarrassing kind of no-go um, handshakes, for example. Always worth kind of checking and um, being mindful. But as design researchers, I think that's probably just in our bones naturally. But just as in-home interviews are really eye-opening, we have found the opposite. And by opposite, I mean kind of unmoderated interviews from so being within their space to unmoderated, not there at all. We found that they've had many a surprise benefit to you. And even if you haven't yourselves utilized unmoderated interviews, I'm sure you can imagine that a big benefit of them is that you can actually conduct a lot of research in a short period of time. You can launch a lot of interviews and the next morning it can all be there waiting for you. Uh, F FYI, it doesn't save time on the analysis and synthesis front, so do bear that in mind when you feel like you're being incredibly productive um, and going, great, I've got 40 interviews, and then going, oh, it's not so great. But they have also been a window into people's online worlds as they have interacted uninterrupted and unprompted in their natural settings. We have received really descriptive analyses of their favorite apps. And we have observed as they, as they scroll through and shift between different experiences and different things catch their eye. We have sat back and rewatched as people felt unguarded and relaxed. Some conducted their interviews horizontal with the phone above them. Others, while clearly a family Barney was going on in the background. Um, but these participants had the convenience of conducting these interviews in their own time and at their own pace. And they weren't shy to share their honest feelings. Us not being there takes that away. However, without being, however, without being present, your script does need to do the job of the interviewer. Prompting, but not leading. Understanding, but not misinterpreting. So a couple of recommendations would be to ensure simplicity in your questions so they're easy to understand. Don't add too much. Keep them clear and easy to remember. You don't want participants having to interrupt their chain of thought to go back and check a question and go, oh, what's section A, B, and C of that question? Break it out. It might sometimes feel a bit counterintuitive as well to ask the same question in a number of different ways across a few tasks, or it might feel awkward or that you're going to be really annoying. But when you want depth on something, you can't rely on just one question. You're not going to be there. So have a play around with how else can you tackle a question to get at what you want. And Fear not, like most participants, actually just kind of build on and layer their explanations and give you that depth, which is necessary when you want you know, important findings so that you can actually get some good insights out of it. And the last one, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. It's a really, really obvious one. It is to pilot and pilot with real participants. Don't hallway pilot, don't do it with friends or family or colleagues. With the unmoderated tests, get it out there. For example, we thought we had a 40-minute interview, and we were like, oh, it's probably a bit too much. Um, maybe it'll be 30 minutes. And it came back with done in 12 minutes. 
absolutely zoom through. And so it really made us think, how can we actually pull it apart and interrogate what we actually want to know, what we're getting, what was relevant, and, and what, what not. So just as we go. Um, and OK, so some final takeaways to wrap up with. When you're presenting to stakeholders, I think we've, we've already heard it today, um, but tell it with a story. Hopefully I've given a bit of an example of telling Layla's story about how that can be so much more engaging than other ways in which you might want to tell it. There's obviously always a place for graphs and stats and all of those things, but think about your stakeholder group. You can be swimming in a lot of data. There's a lot of information. You can see that our multi-pronged approach is going to be bringing back a lot of things. So break it down. I know you don't want to be overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. You don't want to be overwhelmed as well. Break it down into simple steps. Use theories that have already been utilized. Use frameworks, a bit like the internal trigger to the habits established. Work out what you can do to just start to feel comfortable with your own data. And Lastly, creating the space for conversation like we're doing today. Um, thank you to UX Australia for providing us with the opportunity to all to kind of share and grow and all move towards being um, fantastic design research leaders. Thanks for listening.